Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to another episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. This day we are going across the ocean, not really actually, just across the borders, to Tanzania. Mrs. Kolastika Kimario, an amazing giant of our continent. I really enjoy hearing her speak and look out for her. But today, we are here, Wisdom Personified. How are you, Auntie Scholar? Blessed and highly favored, thank you. And how are you? Thank you for your time. It has been quite a day. Uh, which our viewers will not know about, but um, it's such a pleasure having you on our series. I've really been looking forward to doing this. Um, you were born in a peasant farming environment. Can yes. you tell me a bit about your upbringing? What are your most treasured memories um, as a child? Right. I was born on the, in, on the, in a village on the slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. So we are peasant farming folk. Uh, we grow maize, coffee, bananas. It's mixed farming. So life in my village, everybody worked very hard, children included. So I liked the festivities. You know, when there was a new, new, newborn child, when there was a wedding or there's a feast a Christian feast or a family uh, ceremony, because then not only did you stop working, you will see all your friends, you know, your cousins and the nephews and nieces. You will actually also have nice food cooked. You <laughs> have room to play, yeah. you know, so uh, all the holiday and including Sunday. Sunday, we would even go and, you know, wear nice clothes, go to church, <laughs> come back and eat nice food and play, and that was really, for me, that was Nirvana, playtime. It was so rare that when it happened, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It sounds so angelic, actually. It uh, reminds me of some of the African literature I've read, uh, but uh, uh, it's really beautiful. I didn't grow up like that, so it's something that I romanticize about. <laughs> I've heard you say in your past interviews, say you say none of us are leaving this life alive. <laughs> so give yourself permission to succeed. What do you mean by that? Exactly that. You know, I learned very early that if you want anything important done, you better do it yourself. And if you don't have the, the guts to do it, it won't happen. Um, so at, at age what? Um, age between nine and 10 was time for me to go to grade five. And at home in those days, very few children went to school and even fewer girls did. So once you go to grade four, it was like, I don't know, from four these days or from six maybe, because they felt you already know how to read and write. You, are, you were baptized as a child. You have received Holy Communion. You have received confirmation. Now, as a girl, you are ready to go home and wait to get a spouse wow. and be married so the parents can get the lobola and grandchildren. Wow. 
Now, I, I actually looked around. I didn't like very much the way, you know, the, the, the sort of situation around us. Not only did the children and, and women work very hard, but um, I also w- would look at the church. You know, we went to school in a mission. It was well developed. I saw white priests and black priests. I saw white nuns and black nuns. And I saw the ones who worked in the kitchen or on our school floor were the ones who had not gone to school. So I learned, hmm, if I want a better life, I better get out of the village and go to school. So that's when I wanted to now go to grade five. And my father was like, no, um, no girl of mine is going to grade five. You had to pay school fees. My coffee money is not going to pay for a woman uh, who will be married and will be no benefit to us. So I then um, said to my mother in private, of course, that I really want to go to school. So what am I going to do? And she said to me, your best bet is if you go to talk to the parish priest. Because we believe if the priests, as Catholics, we believe that if the priest uh, says, I have closed this door for you, then you won't go to heaven. You see, so I went to the parish priest. Uh, My dad was called. He went with his uh, brothers and my uncles. And they were like, oh, okay, so what's the problem? And the priest says, well, the child says you won't pay for her. And the man says, my father says, no, 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 no. That child didn't understand me. Of course we are going to pay for her. (laughs) So they came home and told my mother, foolish woman, you are going to pay for that child. You should have controlled her. So, but I saw, I got to go. I mean, my father was not pleased, but uh, I was happy that I went to school. I went to grade five and then went to higher, you know, secondary and university. And the other children and people in my village are saying, but girls are not supposed to go to school. She'll get pregnant. And I said, no, not, not if I am in charge. So I learned through life, even in my work, you know, I really always, uh, I worked with the United Nations for what, 31 years. And I learned that there is the mandate, but then there is what you are willing to do as a leader, especially for those of us who are paid on behalf of poor people. You know, I worked with UNICEF for 23 years, children, women. So every country I went, I would look and say, okay, so what difference can I make here? Yeah. Meaning, you see, meaning then I had to learn how to push the envelope, you know, within the goalposts. But you have to know the goalposts. And then you have to have the moral courage and emotional fortitude to do it. If you did it, honestly, anything of importance only happened if you gave yourself permission to do it. And that is one lesson I learned. And I encourage, I encourage governments, I encourage my friends, I encourage the people I teach that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And I am a living example of how a girl comes from a village and all the way to the echelons of the United Nations. So yes, it was from my life experiences that I learned, you know, no one is coming out of life alive. So what am I playing safe for? Yeah. Let me go out there, you know, and um, yeah, and I appreciate it because I say this to people because otherwise we have been brought up to be people pleasers. You know, uh, I don't know when you went to school, but with us, 
uh, every month there would be uh, you'll be given stars you know <laughs> or you'd be given demer- demerits uh-huh. so you know it's uh-huh. so the you know a girl of the month or the boy of the month and somehow you were rewarded for conforming for complying but you were never seldom rewarded for being creative and I I made a decision long ago if I'm going to make a difference in my life or the life lives of other people I honestly have to come out there and play and yes there will be consequences but then at least I lived you know so that's where that comes from yeah there are always consequences but I'm so proud of that 9 year old that had the courage um and also the wisdom because you you knew exactly how to play and who to contact and how to do it that's already showing a lot of wisdom but if i have to ask you what's your unique value proposition as an individual what makes you memorable well that's a very interesting question because um in the way i look at myself and the way i have lived my life there are two types of people who know me you know there are those who really like me i mean would go to battle for me and then there are those who would like you know when are we going to see the back of her <laughs> why is <It's> because... <laughs> you know and you have to know these things as a person if you are going to survive and thrive and it's because because i you know like i'm saying for what 31 years i was with the united nations what is the mandate is human rights is development is a fight against poverty is the well-being of children so i had a perfect mandate but see being an advocate for the poor is actually a very risky endeavor because like working with the united nations uh, in any country i i had several bosses you know i had the 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 host government which i have to work within their framework then the the community which is receiving support if we were doing unicef work and then maybe an ngo which is an intermediary and then of course there are my bosses in new york and their bosses who are the, the donors yeah the ones who give the money so if i give an example you know uh, the hiv and aids program uh, is a classic example on, of how development projects meant for poor people are actually not always implemented for their benefit and but i always found a way and this is why for me i understood that as you said life is about power it's about power brokering so if i am a mere civil servant with an emphasis on servant but i have resources from a, a richer person who wants me to implement them in a set way for the benefit of the poor then i have the choice you know i have a choice uh to take the 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 you know the least resistant path and please the powers that be or look for ways in which i can fulfill the mandate in favor of the poor without going outside the goalpost and when i did, whenever i did that you know the beneficiaries would be very happy but my bosses would be like but that's not what we told you to do and i'm like listen <laughs> i used you know <laughs> you pay me to think you know i've gone to school i have an msc in social policy planning and participation in developing countries i have other skills as a communicator as a former journalist so 
I thought if we use planning methodology, first of all, we found out what the problem was. So I would sponsor a research project. What is the situation of children and women, say, in South Africa? Now, on the basis of that, you will get data that will show you what the problems are for the poor and what should be done. So by using very scientific planning methodologies, I learned to play the game in favor of the poor. But quite often, by the, at the end of the day, my bosses and, and a number of the donors say, for instance, in the, in the case of HIV and AIDS, I got into a lot of trouble. But the country I was working for was very happy with what the result, yeah. and they adopted the whole program because it came from research. But so that's why I'm saying, you know, the donors were really very unhappy with me. And I can say that now I'm a private individual. Some of them were very supportive, but others were not always. So it depends on what it is you are doing. So for me, because I've lived most of my life as a development worker, a human rights, uh, you know, person, as a person fighting for the dignity of children and women, I've always had to choose. And you can't say that nothing is non, non-partisan. I choose to work for the mandate of the poor. And that is also the, the proclaimed mandate of the donors and of my bosses. So at the end of the day, they couldn't quite say I didn't follow. Yeah. But they were not happy with the outcome. So they wouldn't call you, they wouldn't call you a rebel, though, because <laughs> you are a rebel with the cause. Yeah, but that is not fun for them. You know, it was yeah. fun for me. Yeah. You know, it was fun for me. <laughs> and I was working in my country. I also said I will only work in Africa, you know. So I would go to battle for my people. Yeah. And whatever scars I got, you know. They were well. And there were many. They, were, they went well. So you asked me what would I be remembered for. It depends on which side of the coin you are. Yeah. If you are pushing the envelope, yeah. you know. Um, for the for the poor, but you are using methods which are not clear. You know, if you you, you like when I use planning instruments, it's not possible for you to to disregard what the data is telling you. So I learned to really use data in favor of the poor. But there were people who were like, "Ah, oh, that's not what we wanted her to do." And sometimes <laughs> it was about business. Do you yeah. know how much when we did this issue of HIV and AIDS in Lesotho? Um, there was a lot at stake, you know, but the Selesutu government was very happy. They were very proactive and they came up with the program. And yeah, some of it, they could be getting funding from outside, but others they could only fund by themselves. So I have always played in the international development field and I'm always aware of the power play and always ready to be on the side of the disenfranchised. So. Yeah. Those who understood that until today is a legacy for, with, the, with them. And the others are like, goodness gracious, what was she up to now? Yeah. And that was fun. But every choice has a consequence, yeah. you know? Now that you're talking fun, because that's still quite serious stuff that you do there. What do you do for fun? Exactly. What I do for fun is learning, you know, how the world is going and looking to see what opportunities there are for me to make a difference, you know, so... So that's your fun part. (laughs) It's still very serious. My fun is when I'm being relevant, you know. Okay. Seriously, you know, it's I, I get excited when I am 
when I'm working, when I'm making a difference. And you know, uh, to give you uh, uh, evidence, you see, my late husband, may his ashes rest in peace, um, one day said to me, you know, I seem to be competing for attention, but <laughs> it's not with another man. It's actually with your work. <laughs> if it was another man, maybe I, I would stand a chance. But with you and your crusade, what chance do I have? You know, <laughs> so, yeah, we would have to negotiate and, uh, and actually ask him, him for his support at times which I needed in order to do my work. Like when the children were small, he would then bring them to the office. You know, first I worked as a journalist and then I worked with UNICEF, but I was always working late. So he would have to make sure the children are bathed and fed for the evening, bring them to say goodnight to mommy and stuff like that. But yeah, my sweet spot is when I'm making a difference, you know. So when uh, I was retired at 60, I mean, I suppose my employer decided I was being paid too much. They can employ a younger person and pay them less. <laughs> Maybe he or she would even be more knowledgeable. I decided to go back to school. I used my pension fund to go back to university, sit in that stressful situation worrying about passing exams. But I was going to learn mind-body energy medicine so that I can now use the knowledge and experience that I got from my work to make a difference in the lives of people. So now I actually share knowledge, skills, and tools on how to discover and unleash your highest potential, mind, body, spirit. Yeah. Do you know how clever I would have been if I knew those things when I was younger? <laughs> Everything has its time. While, you, while you're talking about that, um, so you are internationally certified as an Ayurvedic lifestyle coach from... Yes. Uh, Chopra uh, Center University in California. Yes. Uh, with reference to yes. the layers of life, because uh, there's a diagram that I've seen about the layers of life. Uh, can you briefly share wisdom of the various elements, but focusing on the ego boundaries and what and how this influences our quality of life? Okay. Yeah. Stress. Um, you see, my, my, the way I lived my life was like, uh, my working life was, was actually, you know, total engagement. I used to joke with my staff, not really joke, but give them an example of what commitment means. You know, I, I grew up in the, in the, I went to school in the 60s and the, our, the, the first president of Tanzania was, um, visionary enough to actually make sure government paid our fees because many of us couldn't afford it. And so um, I was able to go to school and therefore when I, we came back, we were brought up as, um, you know, loyalists, you know, what, uh, good citizens, people commitment to, you know, development was number one. We are the Uhuru generation in my time. So making a difference was a very important issue in our lives. So I worked really hard and I always believed that with God and I, we were invincible. And for many years we were, until one day I kind of felt that, no, yeah, today I am not myself. Something has gone wrong. I've lost him. I can't find, you know, the center cannot hold. And then I came to realize the importance of stress in my own life and how why I was feeling burnt. 
and that's when I went to learn about these things, is that in terms of layers of life, um, you and I are a number of things. First, we are mind, body, and spirit. And without explaining the details, but so many of us tend to live in the body. But actually, and then we also do not realize the significance of our minds and our thought processes on the outcome of our lives, in, beginning with our wellness. And then we have spirit. So you find that most of us live in the, in the flesh. Uh, we are not mindful of what is happening because of what we are doing. And spiritual, we actually uh, do not seem to understand that you and I are eternal spirit beings having a temporary human experience. So that is the first layer of life. Then you and I are also energy. Uh, energy and information. I mean, have you ever met somebody who you didn't know, but didn't like at first sight? You know why? Because our energies speak. And we know about energy. You know, the energy can be measured in hertz, actually. And uh, you and I are vibrating at very high levels, frequencies. But we know about theta, beta, and, and those things. But you really and I, were really the biggest part of you and I are energy and information. And the, the thing about the ego is that the way God created us, if you believe in God or whoever made us, is that your mind and body, actually, they are very closely linked. Mind, body, spirit. That's why we don't even put a full stop. We are one. And because we are one... Uh, one of the things that we has been put in us is that your body and mind are your feed feedback mechanisms. So one thing that uh, was put in us, all animals, is actually the, the self-protection um, instinct. You know, you become alert to danger. So the primitive brain or the amygdala is the one responsible for the ego. And the primitive brain actually alerts you uh, of danger. It's very sensitive and uh, it's also very much linked with your uh, subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is the mind which you and I are sitting here, we don't have to worry whether or not we are breathing, the blood is flowing, you know, so the subconscious mind is taking notes and the, the ego then is given a bad, a bad name really because of our own interpretation, but the ego is supposed to protect you and I. So you will feel, and that, uh, you know, you know you, if you really li like listening to your body, you will know when you are feeling uncomfortable. That is feedback. Now, quite often, many of us have not been uh, aware of the importance of listening to your body and honoring your body. So when the amygdala hijack tells you that we are not happy and you are actually angry at somebody because they've crossed your boundaries, it's actually an indication that there's something in you and I that needs to heal, you know? So, but if you don't know about the ego and how to work with it, then you become ego-driven. And really, you know, to the extent that people can become so angry that, um, uh, you know, I um, I remember, for instance, Yander Holyfield and uh, Mike Tyson when they were fighting, and Michael Tyson reached the stage where he beat off the ear of his... Yes. You see, that, if, if I was his lawyer, he probably should not have gone to prison because that was an, a classic moment of amygdala hijack. You know, the guy realized I'm going to lose 
in front of a global audience my reputation is in the in the you know in the in tatters and without thinking he bit off the ear it was not going to help him but yeah. something moved him you see so in that case he had actually one of those um moments when he had an amygdala hijack and that is when you can commit a crime and be be cleared for insanity oh, so the ego is something we need to understand well yes uh, it does help we work very closely is part of the subconscious mind it is protecting you and i and if we want the ego not to be so always making us fight or flee or freeze then we have to do among other things uh to have lessons in terms of awareness to also meditation to to work with yourself and that is really a great deal of what we do and all of that so stress then is the strongest indicator that you need healing and if you are not able to heal from the things that are stressing you then your ego you are, will always protect you and therefore you will be you are likely to not make very a clever decision so that is why for the work that we do at Madili Leadership Solutions our value proposition is that we will give you knowledge skills and tools to acquire self awareness which will then give you a chance to make to make more conscious decisions so we also stress on uh, consciousness and when you put these things into practice you are now working towards self mastery yeah and once you attain yeah. self mastery which means you are vibrating at higher levels of consciousness then your ego also has no reason to make you fly off the handle because you are living in a good, in a better space energetically speaking ah one day i wish to have a workshop around this and invite you i think to delve into that topic will be just like amazing but thank you so much for that as we draw to a close um what concerns you most about humanity when you observe especially our continent africa what concerns me most is the level of lack of awareness um and consciousness about what is going on in the world beginning with our own homes um our own families our own communities certainly our governments and the the tendency you know for the knowing what i now know you know our, our us as african communities we put a great deal of trust in authority regardless of age you know we also put trust in age but then our experience is showing us that even for those organizations that were freedom fighting organizations once they come to power they really have not delivered to their people and their people are still waiting you know and toying to say no we want you to do this we want you to do that no we actually are at a stage whereby we need to rethink um africa was able to get flag independence uh, the idea was then after south africa was the last to come on board for for the african continent to work towards economic emancipation and then towards prosperity and the africa we want but the thing is you know the individuals people are already completely removed from governance and we as people you and i have to reclaim that space you know the civil society space is also 
controlled by money from outside. It's not really civil society in the way in which, for instance, in South Africa, you had street committees that were made up of the people and everybody knew everybody else and you had the same goal. So my concern is uh, the lack of awareness and my commitment is to contribute towards raising awareness, consciousness and mastery, beginning with the self. Because when your perception changes, everything you look at changes. And if all of us or a certain critical majority of us in Africa actually we are able to transcend to that space, then we would define governance completely differently. Yeah. And the role of the people for their own development would give, be given more prominence and resources would be allocated yeah. accordingly. I totally concur with that, which is why I also do a lot of work in personal leadership, because I think as individuals, as Africans, until we fix what is wrong with us and how we perceive ourselves, our self-awareness and claim the power and understand the power we have, we're not going to get anywhere. But in closing, because we could talk forever, I really have enjoyed our conversation. But in closing, what wisdom would you like to share with everybody that's listening? You know, if this is the last conversation, what would you want humanity to know? I would like humanity to know. I would like men and women to know that uh, really... You know, the, the, their life is, is, is their garden. Their thoughts are their seeds. And, you know, we can grow, you know, flowers, we can grow corn or we can grow weeds. So in terms of change, really change has to begin at the individual level and at home. So, for instance, for me, there's always so much resources, so much. And I talk about this, actually, that... Um, I don't believe we are going to free women just running as the, the way we are doing now. You know, I believe that the relationship between men and women will change starting from the home. It doesn't matter how, how where you are at. As individuals, you can bring, make a difference. And I have done that with my husband and my children. Then, if we are going to change the power structure, because our patriarchy is about power structure, we have to go to the traditional roots. Can you imagine coming from KwaZulu-Natal and what would liberation of women mean in the Zulu culture? You have to have that conversation there and then let people decide, not come with, you know, far-fetched ideas from wherever, which actually divide our people. We are now divided by gender, we are divided by race, we are divided by culture, we are divided by politics. We are, you know, all of these things are divisive of us. Let us have a systems thinking approach. If we were to change the, the, the status of men and women, what would it take? Yeah. And then determine yeah. that, not come with these, um, you know, uh, programs that come from abroad, were already prescribed and then doing things that does not change the power structure at the domestic yeah. and personal level. You know, how much am I willing to work with my husband, you know, in order for us to be partners, it takes decisions, you know, and what is in need for the men? We have to discuss with them and so that is a win and not, honestly, do not want to hear, well, yeah, it will be said, but I really believe that change has to begin from us. We need to, as human beings, as people, to recapture our place in our own development and in our own salvation. Men, women, children together, not separately. 
I must say your relationship with your husband was very uh, inspirational. Just some of the stories that you share. He was a very progressive husband. I wish to attract that kind of man for myself. <laughs> but thank you so much for this you, conversation. You. <laughs> uh, uh, so now you understand why we're having this conversation. Um, it's been such an amazing conversation. Um, until next time, Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Auntie Scola, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.